Well, hello and welcome to the Transfix Take On. I'm your host, Jenny Ruiz, and today I'm joined by Transfix's portfolio manager and resident betting man, Paul Pozumski, as he takes on the current state of freight. It's the first time that he's on the show. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much. I'm excited. Absolutely. Now we have so much to get into, and I feel like we have to start off with a look back of Q1. So here's the thing. Q1 was fairly quiet with minimal movement in tender rejections, capacity, rates, and the word stagnant was kind of the star of most of our regional breakdowns on the Transfix Take podcast. But I need to know, what do you think were some of the standout moments of Q1 from a macro perspective that really influenced the lack of volatility in the freight sector? Okay, so I think the Q1's quietness was a little bit deceptive. Yes, it is true that the rejections and capacity were stagnant overall, uh, but the rates actually moved tremendously. Um, So in a little less than three months, we had a brutal rally into the year end in 2022, and then an uninterrupted uh, bearish run, including uh, February, where rates, national rates went down by 8%. And I believe that this is the biggest drop uh, in one month on uh, record. So in a way, I would say that the Q1 was a cautionary tale for both bulls and bears. In a sense, we saw that if rates bounce, how uh, brutal that movement could be given how compressed rates are right now. But also we could see that uh, uh, rates could also drop much, much farther because there is significant potential for 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 um, and extra capacity in the markets overall. So I am not 100% sure. I'm sure you will ask me. I'm not 100% sure just yet what the direction will be. But whatever that direction might be, I think the, the, the movement is likely to be very volatile and, and quite dramatic. Oh, don't you worry. We're going to get all into to what Q2 and beyond looks like. But I, we have to mention the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, it was quite possibly the largest event, Black Swan event of the year, um, even though we're, we're only in Q1. So I'm hoping that things don't get crazy uh, in the rest of 2023. But let's kind of get into how that played a role in any market tightness or maybe anxieties that people are feeling across the industries. So, yes, I would agree SVB was a major event, uh, but in fact, I would say it's part of a much bigger event uh, uh, itself. So uh, we remember SVB uh, because it was a relatively big bank, almost 200 billion of of assets. But uh, we shouldn't forget that a handful of others failed or half failed among them, some very big banks like Credit Suisse uh, in Switzerland but also uh, First Republic and Signature Bank in the U.S. Uh, what I would say is that, you know, each individual failure had, you know, was partly self-harm, whether, you know, poor treasury management, uh, uh, lack of uh, de- deposit diversification, crypto, and so on and so forth. Uh, the individual mistakes are, I would say, secondary to the overall uh, banking pictures that we are facing, which was triggered by the Fed's rate policies and the the, the, inc- the fast increase in rates that has exposed basically the whole banking system to similar issues. Right. Now, certain banks are in better in a better position uh, to deal with, with uh, the rates uh, rises, but they all suffer. And I would uh, take the bet that this is the beginning rather the end of the crisis. What is happening as we speak is that 
certain bigger banks are receiving deposits from the, the smaller banks, which makes their capital base stronger. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, across the banking system, depositors are leaving to put their money on money markets, funds, uh, because banks are unable to raise their deposit rates to a level that would satisfy depositors. So we are just at the beginning of the trend and bar a sudden change in Fed's policies, this is an issue that we will have to face uh, for you know, this year and possibly going uh, forward as well. Wow, that's uh wow. Okay, you know what? You have bet your house before, so if this is something that you're going to bet your house on, it, I, you know, you were right, and we'll get there in a, in a bit. But you know, I, I want to shift gears just for a second because this may have something to do with uh, what we will see throughout the rest of the year, um, and that's relative to port volumes. I mean, we saw that it took a big hit, and there may not be any relief uh, anytime soon. What with labor negotiations continuing on the West Coast, especially in California, which, by the way, I just want to call out ended 2022 with an overall 7.5% uh, decrease in imports and 8.6% decrease in loaded exports. Some of the decrease can be attributed to that inventory glut that retailers fe felt you know, in the back half of 2022. So I have to ask, do you think that this will continue to be an issue throughout the year? Um, so this is a very difficult call. And I want to highlight something. Um, there, there has been some speculation basically since... The Q3 or Q4 of 2022, whether rates, whether this is sea, air, or 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 land, whether the, the rates will plateau at some point and why not bounce. And up until now, I have been on the bearish side, as you know, uh, calling for lower rates. Uh, instinctively, I would say that we are quite far from the bottom. Uh, but obviously, the more rates go down, as they have uh, done in Q1, Clearly, mechanically, we're getting closer to that bottom. Uh, when that bottom will happen, it's very difficult to predict because the bet is not really about rates as such. The bet is whether, you know, we will go into a recession, which deserves to be mentioned that it is the most uh, uh, kind of predicted recession in U.S. history. Right. Uh, as we speak, uh, different polls uh, including Bloomberg's, are pricing the odds of recession above 70%. So everybody expects a recession. Sure. Uh, obviously, there is the recession and there is how deep the recession will go. So when we are betting about where rates will go, in reality, we're betting whether the Fed will manage to uh, fight inflation with, without triggering a very deep recession. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the famous uh, expression, I think it's a mild recession. It's important to also mention that the mild recession concept is driven by the Fed itself. It's aspirational. Mm. Typically, when a recession starts, we only know that it has started. We never know how deep it will go. We figured it out as it goes. So it's, it's, it's fairly brave to predict uh, at this point that we will have a mild recession and when this would happen. Uh, I think that the Fed is probably behind the curve. Remember when they were saying that inflation is transitory, then that it will resolve itself and so on and so forth. That's right. um, so I would not necessarily trust their signals um, to figure out, you know, how the economy will be doing in three months, six months and nine months and so on and so forth. So I don't want to make a bet, but my bias is it's I'd say rates can go lower from here. 
I have to say, I agree. You know, Spencer Shute, uh, who's the principal consultant at supply chain consultancy Proxima, predicts that the West Coast ports are likely to see a return to pre-pandemic volumes. I don't know if I agree with that, but I have to ask you what you think in terms of whether or not you think there, there's going to be a return there as well on the West Coast. I think the West Coast has been hit pretty dramatically. Yeah. So technically, it's likely we we are likely to see a rebalance. Uh, mostly, remember the uh, West ports are suffering from a number of issues, but uh, some of those issues have balanced themselves out, including the inventories. We are still in a glut of inventories, uh, but that that glut has been partly resorbed. Uh, so it's likely that at least technically we will see. A stabilization or even a bounce uh, in uh, on the West Coast. That being said, longer term, I am not so sure that we can get outright bullish. Partly because there is a lot of supply chain reorganization out of China, main uh, mainland China, and also because again, if we do have a recession, however deep it might get, uh, that that will have a tremendous impact. And you know, uh, likely. I would not be necessarily very bullish long term on the West Coast. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, not to call anything out, but the East Coast, because of the reorganization of imports that came in, I think, you know, maybe middle of last year or even before then, East Coast ports were booming with with all of that volume. And, you know, we're fine in terms of, of dealing with it. Right. So we may it may continue on that way. Um, but I, but I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens at the second. I would agree with you. I agree. Yeah. Now, the big watch party at Transfix, especially for you and Aya, was centered around the Fed, which we've mentioned several times um, uh, in the show today. Your crystal ball indicated that the Fed would increase interest rates by 25 points. What were some of the most notable contributing factors that you were keeping in mind with this prediction? Uh, so to, to be frank, the reason uh, there was a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, when I uh, you know, call for 25, uh, 25 basis points, I was within kind of the market consensus. I believe that 60% of, you know, um, uh, the Bloomberg, the same Bloomberg poll were in calling for a 25 uh, basis point increase. The reason why that seemed fairly natural is due to how inflation tends to develop. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling mechanism. Um, uh, and the only way to fight it, consequently, is to fight it as early as possible, just like a, a forest fire. You know, once it gets out of hand, it becomes extremely complex to stop it. Uh, with that in mind, the Fed had to act uh, as early and as upfront as they could. And because the economy is slowly deteriorating, they know that those opportunities to act are becoming more and more problematic. Uh, because soon, if we enter a recession, the main concern might not be inflation as such, might be, you know, a huge destruction of wealth and uh, economic hardship for the U.S. So therefore, I believe that they had to do something while the economy was still strong. You know, and it's funny because Aya always says uh, it's the Fed's ex existential crisis to to continuously raise points and make sure that they're getting ahead of it. Um, so, you know, likely we're going to continue to see this. We don't know, but, you know, certainly going to keep an eye on it. And I know you you more than than most of us here at Transfix. Um, I want to jump into Q2 now. There's a lot going on here and we're just, you know, a, a few weeks in or, or rather a weekend, but 
let's talk about whether or not we're going to have a quote unquote normal produce season this year. It's, it's yet to be seen, though Justin Mays predicts it'll fare out to its stronger months towards the end of Q2. Is that something that you agree with? So I never disagree with Mays. Okay. It's a matter of principle. Uh, I mean, more, more, more seriously, I think this is a very, very interesting point. And I, it might seem technical to a lot of listeners, but th there is a lot at stake here. Yeah. So basically, a produce season might find us at historical low prices across the board. And there is some hope that produce season might just be the spark that triggers, if not a massive rally, a normalization of rates. I personally think that this is um, not necessarily unlikely, but it's about 50-50 at this point. And I want to say why. I think if produce season finds us at the same point we're at, with a huge amount of capacity, more likely than not, uh, produce season will only trigger a small temporary spike the same way it happened for the year end in 2022. And very quickly, we will resume the downward spiral. Now, if we find some balance, however minor, before produce season, so if the market consolidates uh, uh, before produce season, then maybe produce season can take that consolidation and create a more constructive environment. But it is not obvious. All that I'm seeing so far is fairly bearish, I have to be honest. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm curious to know, are there any particular reasons that we should be looking out for? You know, I think personally, and just uh, taking a look at the news from last week, maybe Mexican imports will save produce season. What do you think? Uh, so I'm actually, you know, I've been globally bearish on many things. Uh, I want to be uh, uh, bullish on the long-term trends for Mexico. So okay. Mexico benefits from a, a wide range of uh, um, positive signals. If anything, the restructuring of supply chains. You know, yeah. a lot of the supply chains are moving from, from uh, Asia uh, into Mexico. Okay. And there's also a particular dynamic that is uh, it's very favorable for Mex uh, 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 for the um, uh, Mexican imports overall over a long period of time. Now, whereas I'm I'm bullish longer term, short term, once again, it's a little bit like produce season. It will all depend on how constructive the market gets by the time this happens. Mm -hmm. um, I expect uh, some form of a bounce, but whether this is going to be um, short term or long term, it remains to be seen. Gotcha. Now we have to call out the latest fuel update. Um, you know, in, in our Slack channels here at Transfix, you'd mentioned that um, OPEC Plus announced a shocking, and I'm taking this directly from you, a 1 million barrels a day cut, sending crude oil prices soaring plus 8%, uh, which is amounting to $84, and then settling at plus 6% above $80. How will this impact the industry over the next month or so? And and specifically, how will it how will it impact shippers and carriers? So this is a, a, a very, very good question. And that uh, goes back to the conversation that we had about the Fed and inflation as well. Yep. The one thing uh, to be said about it is that higher fuel prices are actually not helping the Fed. On the contrary, that could mean that more likely than not, we might have another 25 basis points, you know, um, hike uh, at the next meeting, which is where the consensus kind of 
is right now not by a huge margin uh but i think it's about 55 45 um as of today i would i would agree that that's going to happen as well so i would call for another 25 basis points today that being said until that happens so many things can go wrong uh it, you know i i wouldn't bet my house okay? <laughs> I'd, wait, I'd wait a little bit longer before before betting my house <laughs> now in terms of impacts this is unmitigatingly bad for uh, our industry it is bad for for shippers obviously because they have to pay for higher uh, transportation costs but it's especially bad for carriers the reason why it's especially bad for carriers is that um a lot of things are going against them. Rates are very, very low. And obviously, uh, fuel takes a, a huge chunk out of their revenues. Okay. It's also especially bad because the movie is sudden. And in a way, they don't have the time to adjust. You know, when prices are drifting higher or lower, uh, they can adjust their, their, their commitments. Uh, in this case, they get they often get taken by surprise, and they have to fork the costs. So, given the low rates environment, the low margins that they face, uh, you know, an extra spike in fuel prices is certainly uh, pretty bad news. Yeah, I agree. I think we, you know, I hate to say it, but I feel like we might continue to see some of that um, even more net new carrier revocations you know, smaller, mid-sized carriers jumping over to the larger fleets that can handle uh, the, this type of, of volatility with fuel costs. What do you, do you think that's going to be the same? I believe so. Yes. I will. hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, two big industry factors are signaling the need for better partnerships. I mean, as we talk about it, right, I think it's in the carrier's best interest to consider what are easier ways, what are better ways to really strengthen their relationships with shippers. But let's kind of get into this here. So cargo theft, especially in the food and beverage space, seems to be an unfortunate hot topic that shippers are growing increasingly concerned about this year. I mean, some are reporting a 50% increase in theft namely in the Los Angeles, Houston, and Miami markets um, being sort of those top targets. And then food and bev shippers are reporting an average loss of $214,000 per load. What, what do you think, how can, how can you know, uh, first of all, what do you think about that? And where do you think shippers and carriers land in terms of partnership and how they can get better at it? So suddenly this is quite predictable. It happens on uh, most down cycles. And uh, in this down cycle, we have two separate issues that are basically reinforcing themselves. Uh, the first one is because rates are so low, a lot of carriers actually struggle to make uh, ends meet because of the structure of our industries. The overwhelming majority of carriers are small carriers. Therefore, they can hardly hedge, prepare themselves. You know, they don't rely on complex forecast or, you know, financial products to hedge their fuel costs or, um, you know, long-term contracts, they mostly trade transactionally. Okay. So they are basically hit on every single account uh, pretty hard. So uh, uh, with that in mind, it, it basically puts a lot of pressure on who they hire, you know, how they operate, which creates massive operational gaps and risks for them. The second point, which is also something that is important, is that brokers' margins are also going down very hard, right. meaning that now they will have to contract 
lower quality carriers. And you know, the lower down the scale you go, the more likely you are to find people who are just you know uh, 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 organizing complex fraud schemes. Um, so between the two, this is actually predictable. I see something positive coming out of it. And um, I see, for instance, how Transfix is responding against that by increasing our compliance processes, by, by uh, you know, using our artificial intelligence algorithms to detect anomalies, you know, uh, divergences from, you know, quality standards and so on and so forth. So I believe that the industry overall will uh, uh, get better as a consequence of that. And particularly, uh, you know, uh, very technical uh, uh, brokers like us can uh, leverage on that to, uh, to, to partner with the carriers, you know, to make them aware what they have to look for, um, to, to uh, warn them ahead of the cycle on what might go wrong depending how they contract and execute this business. So short term, unfortunately, this trend is likely to continue. Longer term, uh, hopefully we all get, uh, you know, out of it uh, in a better place. Yeah, you know, it's 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 definitely top of mind for our shipper partners that, you know, it's it's one of the top conversations, just what what is Transfix doing? Um, and, and as you mentioned, all the things that we are doing, what I appreciate most about it is that we're not just on the shipper side, right? We're also on the carrier side to make sure understanding that they are having a really tough, I mean, I want to say we're going into the second year of low rates or, or tradition, untraditionally low rates. Um, so it just speaks to, to continued partnership across the board. You are, you are absolutely right. I think this is a very good point that you're making is that um, ultimately, we all suffer as an industry. You know, there is no winner within the industry for, for that kind of thing. So when we work together, we are, we are more likely to solve the issue and make all our infrastructure better. That's right. Now, you know, let's talk about the number of carrier shutdowns um, from 22 to, to now. In a recent piece uh, in our blog, you sat with Kari White and shared the observation that, quote, common tech models for procuring truck trucking capacity could potentially run the smaller and more diverse carriers out of the industry. Very timely to what we're talking about right now. And often these tools incentivize shippers with complex supply chains to pursue short-term gains rather than long-term partnerships. So Paul, tell me, where do you see the trucking industry headed when it comes to partnerships this year? And can you elaborate a little more on your thoughts on incentivizing the procurement process for both sides of the supply chain? Right. So first of all, uh, as I was uh, telling Corey, uh, this is not, there is nothing intrinsically wrong about optimizing the short term uh, uh, costs. My thought was, let's all optimize the short term, but with the long term in mind. Right. So this is not just uh, basically a slogan, you know, just trying to say that we can solve everything at the same time. It's only saying that basically the, in the short term, if we make substantial savings, but at the expense of the industry structure, at the expense of the diversity of the network, what we will create for tomorrow is an industry with a very small numbers of actors that will be able to maintain higher prices. And also, so there are a wide range of, of very financially sound issues to consider in that scenario. Not only, you know, the prices will go higher, 
but also that the diversity is not only a question of principle it's a question of resilience you know you want to have different kind of players in the sector because they are sensitive to different factors right um, uh, um there is a you hedge your your logistics uh, networks by operating with with players that are exposed to different uh, factors and different risks. So as you reduce that that um, that network to one type of player, you know the big uh, asset carrier that is uh, technologically advanced. Uh, once again, you you solve some of the short term issues, but you create for yourself other issues that might be much more difficult to solve because you don't have alternatives. They will set the rules of a game. Beautifully said. Now, considering all that we have spoken about today with respect to what's going on in the markets, you know, from a macro and even micro perspective, obviously we're on a down market. So how important do you think it is for shippers to start focusing their efforts? And I feel like this is like, you know, I'm, I'm setting this question up, right? But, but it's, a, it's a good one. Focusing their efforts on better strategic partnerships with their carriers. What is it for? What is in it for them? So there is a, a lot. A lot. And um, for, first and foremost, structurally, you always want to diversify your logistics providers, right? This is the same for banks. We saw what happened to uh, Silicon Valley Bank when their depositors were similar right. type of investors. Uh, you want to diversify, but you also want to maintain quality standards, right? Uh, meaning that as you push prices beyond a, beyond a certain level, mm -hmm. people might operate at a loss as a short-term loss, but unfortunately, they will have to cut corners. Even the ones who operate with a very low margin, they will have to, 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 uh, to cut corners, and the impact is tremendous. We mentioned, uh, you know, uh, the theft. You know, you might save, I don't know, $50 per load, but if your load is worth two hundred thousand right. dollars, if you you know one one once in a while one gets lost, you know you need a lot of fifty dollars savings to cover for that. But that's not only the, the only issue is that you know being on time, picking up at the right time, the delivery, the the the, the quality of the handling, and everything else that will have you know practical implications for the service. That the shippers are providing to their own customers and you have to price that you know uh, fairly accurately to understand that whatever you might be saving uh on on, on logistics right. might not come at a higher cost uh you know once uh, 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 you you lose value on your core business there are other also uh, you know things that are far from minor you know re resiliency it's a it's, it's a team that's extremely important once again having many people that you deal with in any industry uh allows you to be able to change strategies to you know to to have alternatives you know to keep prices down longer term to uh, set a, a different kind of standards for the business you're in and again, there are plenty of ESG factors that you know we can we can speak into details that are also about creating value across the value chain. Um, you know, uh, this is a whole subject on its own. Uh, you know, we can treat it separately. Yes, yes. But it is an important one. You know, and it's something too that I think 
if we've learned nothing, 2020 and this pandemic is a first of, I mean, first of its kind that a lot of us have had to deal with, especially in this industry, diversifying your carrier network. And, and, and on the opposite side of that, diversifying your shipper network was insanely important to, um, to the down market. That was inevitable. And it's not, I think kind of where we're at right now is this interesting, uh, interesting thought of, well, the pandemic is quote over. Right. And now we are headed into a normalized market. But I mean, we're in April and we're already talking about how this is not going to be a normal year. I think normal is gone for the supply chain. I would entirely agree. And this is something that people have to face. Our world has become more volatile. Yeah. We mentioned uh, the Fed's policies. I mean, we are at a point in time when we cannot predict a month out what the Fed policies might be, whether the economy will be in deep recession or okay, uh, the, the supply chains get reorganized. Geopolitically, you have issues across the board. Yeah. So the world is extremely volatile. What you don't want to do is to create even more volatility in your industry by you know uh, unbalancing you know, the, 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 the way it operates and its diversity and the whole ecosystem. So I, I, I mean, entirely in agreement with you. Yeah, you have to think long term for the short term in order to get through the short term, if that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have to ask you, as we wrap up, though we've been talking a lot about it, what are some of the macroeconomic factors that you're keeping a close eye on right now? So basically at the macro level, the story remains about whether, you know, who will win, uh, inflation, uh, or recession, and mostly, in order to to um, detect the, the the minor trends that will contribute to one direction or another, uh, we look with eye across a number of macroeconomic factors. But again, what what is keeping us busy right now is primarily in, inflation on one side and consumer consumptions on the other one. Uh, so far, both have been pretty strong. The economy has been pretty strong overall. Um, so we still, it remains a balancing act, uh, but at the macro level, this balancing act is, I mean, the balance itself is fairly fragile. So it is likely then whenever one side will have to give, uh, then things will move very, very quickly in that direction, good or bad. And, more, and that is what's yet to be seen, right? <laughs> exactly. More likely than not, we will probably have a recession, some kind of recession sometimes this year. So how bad it will be again, we, we, we spoke about it, it's very difficult to forecast. At the more uh, micro level, uh, mm. what we are looking at is the evolution of short-term spot rates. Mm. And, yeah, you know, the perennial question on whether, you know, rates will continue to fall or find some support at some point. Uh, the key to answering this question is looking at capacity once again. And for now, we are not seeing uh, major changes. As you pointed out, you know, some carriers, unfortunately, have thrown the, the, the towel. Uh, some others are operating at very low margins, if any. Um, there is not yet a significant capacity destruction, although, again, we are starting to see the signs. Also, employment recently, transportation employment numbers have been on the weaker side. Uh, but uh, for rates to bounce, sh short of a, um, you know, a, a, a spurt of growth that is unlikely to happen um, 
economic growth uh, this year, uh, more likely than not what will uh, give stability to rates will be once a number of players exit the market. Um, some have, but not enough to create a plateau for rates. So that leads me into my last question for you, which is, do you think we'll have a bounce back to the markets, uh, specifically trucking, in the second half of the year? Um, so initially, the consensus was that rates would bounce sometimes in Q2. Yeah. I think more and more people are uh, moving away from that consensus. And the the next target is the second second part of the year i think this is less of a positive target it's more of a um, giving up on q2 and hoping uh, that it might happen in q3 or even q4 uh, it is certainly possible once again it will mostly be driven by capacity in uh, issues in our in our industry how much you know the, uh, there will be a capacity destruction and how many players will be able to survive in a very low rate environment, especially as fuel prices are going higher, is the bigger question. Uh, in, in a way, we could see rates bounce even in the middle of a, um, you know, mild, mild, relatively mild recession. If the recession is significant, obviously every, all the all bets are off. But it would be possible to see a mild recession and rates uh, uh, bounce as once again, some of the players would exit the market, the industry would get rebalanced and we could see something constructive, you know, starting at from the bottom, basically. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, again, it's 50-50. I am more inclined to think that if anything's going to happen, produce season might be the big test for the market. So it kind of coincides with the beginning of, you know, the uh, second half of the year. You know, it's possible. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, before we go, I, you know, one, and it may be too soon to tell, but I did notice uh, a couple of, of uh, signaling towards the construction sector uh, increasing in terms of uh, profitability, consumer consumption, and even jobs, which is usually, if I'm not mistaken, a signal that some of the trucking, I mean, this usually happens in this in this market that we're in right now, where a lot of the drivers shift gears over into construction. And that could hold them over until that second half of the year where we expect, you know, back to school season and holiday season to really, uh, to get to get drivers back in their seats, I, you know, it's too soon to tell. But what do you think? So uh, this is less obvious because um, retail real estate is very very weak right now, yeah. and this is primarily what kept drivers busy on a down market. Now, uh, what is equally true is that some construction work, industrial construction work, infrastructure is actually starting to, um, you know, show signs of revival. Uh, that being said, uh, um, this industrial sector and infrastructure, it's more likely to use big asset companies than the small, um, you know, moms and pops companies that are the most affected by the current uh, low rate environment. Yeah. So I would not put a huge amount of hope uh, into, you know, uh, 
real estate yeah. for the next at least quarter or so, especially as rates uh, are continuing to be on a you know on the rise. Yeah. Um, again, nobody knows when the Fed will pause, but for now the consensus is still for rates to continue rising at least um, you know well, in the. We will see. I so appreciate your insights today. What a great conversation. I feel like we've covered pretty much everything and, and we'll certainly, I'd love to have you back in Q3 and see where you landed with some of those bets that you placed. It would be a pleasure. Thank you very much, Jenny. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. We'll see you next time. See you next time. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.